Hello and welcome to Conversations from the Adoption and Fostering Podcast. In this episode, we speak to Saul. He shares his early life experience and journey through foster care to adoption as an older child. Saul is open and honest in relation to the impact of his childhood experiences, finding out personal information through medical records and the impact of these events on how he saw himself as an adult. This is an emotionally charged account, so please listen with care. As always, if you have experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook or Twitter page or you can email us at aandfpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, Al. Um, my name's Saul um, and I've been kindly uh, invited to your podcast as um, an ex-care leaver and adoptee. Uh, from Birmingham in the UK. It's absolute pleasure, but you know, you know, seriously, it's it, the pleasure is all ours. And what I'd love to know, you've—I know a little bit about your story, and um, you know, we've had a little chat, but I really don't know very much about you at all. So tell me, you know, start wherever you want to start, and tell me whatever you want to tell me, really. Yeah, I suppose to start at the um, right at the beginning. Um, so I suppose the, the disclaimer is I don't know some of the things I might say a hundred percent. I'm not necessarily going to go into depth on some things as well, um, out of respect for other people that it involves. Um, and I suppose it's just to kind of get an idea of where I've where I come from in the in our community, and um, and then of course hopefully I want to talk about Orphan um, and my my wants and dreams for, 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 for that community, for that online community. Um, so yeah, I was born in Birmingham, um, St. Elizabeth hospital on the 5th of the 12th, 1985. Um, I think I was born a couple of weeks premature. Um, the story goes that I was taken off my mother from straight away. So there was a pre awareness that this that the mother potentially can't look after the child or doesn't want the child um just trying to make it so it makes sense <clears throat> she, she my mother uh, this i found out many years ago uh, by the way and i still haven't had this confirmed but um my mother was my my birth was conceived through um a sexual assault happened to her um i tried to not say the word or i wanted to say the word but i th- I just think that's how i'd prefer to say it. out of respect for her my mother sorry my birth mother should i say um and i think that then would have kick-started a whole series of events that would have maybe that led to me then being taken off her from from birth i know she was white i don't know what else what other sort of origin um other than I was born Saul David Jones and her last name is the same so I would presume that that's where my you know through through name and heritage on that side um and then I this is where this is where it's a mix of memories a mix of what I've been told and yeah. a mix of um, things that I've read. So the red part's quite important. So many years 
um, many years ago, I got in an accident and I had to end up having medical records sent to me. When I was going through the medical records, that's when I found out the truth officially about what had happened to my mother. Because I was never told that. So I didn't know. Um, so what it then confirmed is the memories that I had. So I had the memories of, because what happened, she, 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 um, she, she'd been sectioned. Um, uh, and she suffered from mental health. Um, but at the time, they were still trying to integrate me back with her. Yeah. So I was kept getting put backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards with her. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, that's where the memories that I have of the abuse, um, that, that's when that time, you know, that, that's when that happened. Um, at some point, so it's before I started school. Um, so before I started school, I got into the last foster home that I ended up being in before I was later adopted. So I'll come into that a little bit later on. So between the age of one and four, which is really strange for me because the memories that I have are very vivid. Yeah. I remember the foster homes I went into. I remember my mother. I remember the last time I said goodbye to her. Vivid. The older I get, the more vivid it gets. So it's very strange the way I've worked out how, how old I was just through circumstance mm. and, and working out. I, I remember going to the last foster home. I remember being there, getting, I remember going to school. Yeah. Um, for the first time. Um, so I'm trying to see where I'm getting myself a little bit lost here. Um, so with my, with, so she was eventually for whatever reason, they decided that's it now. She, she, you know, your mother can't take care of you any longer. Yeah. So that's when I went into care full time and a count in my head four, maybe four different foster homes, maybe, maybe more. Um, but yeah, those are the ones that I remember situations happening that have, you know, stayed with me. Um, then, like I said, I got in a final foster home. Quite, It was a, a sort of grandparents and they were fostering another two children in, in the home. And I became part of that family. They were a black family in, because um, I'm mixed race as well, just to, <laughs> I think I need to maybe put that behind. I'm, I'm my mother's white and then whoever the father is, is obviously coloured of some sort. Don't know, haven't got a clue. Um, could be anything I've been called. As you can probably see, I'll, I have a very different look about me. So it's not always like sometimes I get the Malaysian look or I get, I get something Mexican or um, right. my hair as well. When it grows out, it, it, it doesn't grow Afro. So it, it, it's not always a straightforward, oh, he's just black Caribbean and white, or he's black African and white. There doesn't seem to be, and it's come out in my children as well, like their hair is sort of an Asian element to it as well. So mm. there's lots of mystery about what, what, what color I actually, uh, actually am. But um, in the eighties, you know, um, as a half caste kid, as they would say, which actually was a, a sort of pick or a pick, uh, a bully term that yeah. I, 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 that was, a, that's another part of <laughs> something else that I could talk about, but they put, you know, try and keep you with, with the, the sort of um, people of color, black people, or, you know, people of that sort of um, 
culture. Um, so they also had loads of grandchildren. So there was loads. There was always kids in the house. And it was a huge house. Um, and then it was a bit of fate sort of happened. The person that was dealing with the children ended up adopting me, who was dealing with the other two foster kids. Officially, um, that's I just, I'll try to be careful about what, what, I, what I do say here. Just um, I was chosen in a sense, and this is quite important because the name Saul that I was given that I'm still not too sure who gave me that name, whether it was my mother or birth mother or whether it was a nurse or whoever it was. Um, in one of the translations in, in across the world, it means the chosen one. And my adoptive mother used to say, this is why. Um, so that all made kind of nice, cute sense in a, in a, in a, in a way. Um, and then it wasn't straightforward adop adoption. It took, from what I know, two years for it to go through. Hmm. The reasons for that, what I've told and what I, what is facts are, I don't know. So, I'm going to skip a little bit here um, and not talk too much about my adoption. Yeah. That, that period. Um, but I was officially adopted. Um, I think it was, might be March or May. So I'm slightly dyslexic. So sometimes I get things like that mixed up. Um, but it was, I think it was 1993. And um, so I was coming up to eight years. I was eight years old. Um, yeah. And I remember standing in front of the judge. So, yeah, I remember it. So this is kind of like an experience. This is something that, you know, this is something that I hope, you know, I've never had a chance to speak to other people that have had this experience before. So I'm hoping what I'm doing today will not only help me say, hey, I went through it too, but maybe hear what other people have gone through, you know, yeah. and your podcast, when you go start going through your podcast. Um, so, and, and it's great because it's therapy for me because it just makes me understand that you know, other people have fit, have felt the same way. And that day when the judge asked me, you know, that weight, that pressure to, to decide my future, it was something I was aware of and conscious of at seven, eight years old. Hmm. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I knew, because I was told that, the foster family wanted to adopt me, which didn't make any sense because it wasn't my fondest memories. <laughs> and so it didn't make any sense at the time and it still doesn't make sense to me now. I don't understand why they would, you know. So I didn't want to go back there at the time. That's what I was thinking in my head. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then it was like a completely different lifestyle. My parents were, at the time, my adoptive parents, they were educated, cultured careers. They took me away. I'd never been anywhere in my life as that. It's something that would be very common with a lot of people who didn't care. But I got adopted and they took me to the Caribbean and to New York for a month for the first time <laughs> at Christmas. My birthday it was like Christmas time in New York. I never seen anything like it in my life. 
so uh, you know i had these experiences as like yeah i want i did want that but you know and this is where i have to be honest i have to be honest because it nearly you know it's really cost me not to be honest i didn't know what i was doing and i wasn't happy and i was not not aware that i wasn't happy i just didn't feel right i didn't feel like it was the dream mm. i didn't feel like everything was going to be all hunky dory it looked like it it looked like it but inside and i never knew you wouldn't know i just knew that it was almost like okay i'd rather choose this over that yeah sort of moving forward through the adoption and um, lots of things happened um and i left home when i was 17 um i dropped out of college after three months and then that didn't go down well at all um yeah cool long story short i left home and i was on my own for a few well have been on my own like that for the majority of the time i did have a child and when i was young she's certain age now and i had a you know when i was 21 2021 she was born um and then i tried to rekindle with my adoptive parents at that time yeah the relationship that i was in was very at the time a difficult one and it broke down quite dramatically something that i actually believed <laughs> this is a good point a little side note so when i was in a relationship with someone and i got and ended up you know having a child with them and unplanned and everything i naively thought and that my life story meant that the person who was going to conceive my child was the person that i was meant to stay with for the rest of my life i really <laughs> believed that i so believed it i got it i can't tell you i believed it no and i refused to believe that i could create a broken home so i you know i stuck it out as long as I, you know as anyone can you know i didn't i didn't i didn't run away from my responsibility but it it, it got too much you know and 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 it got too much for my daughter um and you know then i just then it 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 broke down my relationship with my adoptive parents as well at the same time so then i ended up in one of many hostels that i've been in throughout the midlands <laughs> i've probably been in them all at some stage across the you know um at different points um and then yeah that that's when i really was on my own then hmm. um and i and i couldn't see my child either and i didn't have any support from from my adoptive parents and yeah i was just i was on my own at, you know very young early 20s um yeah then i had another relationship um you know a good few few years sort of before i had my second child cuz she's four year difference now um that one was a lot better was in the relationship for a lot longer almost 10 years um and it's sad because a lot of the reasons why I'm not with that person is because of the things that I've carried for my whole life 
Mm. Because it was only then since I lost that support network, I ended up having a, a nervous break. I don't know what you would call it, a breakdown, a mental breakdown. Um, yeah, and um, it was, yeah, that was the... I had a few of them along the way, but I suppose there's always been someone to kind of pick me up, um, especially my, my last partner. She's been there to, to literally pick me up off the floor. Mm. Whereas this time no one was there, so I just sank. Um, somehow I managed to somehow keep it together for my contact with my kids, which is only, I think, just pure, they can't see me like that. Um but yeah, I, I, I wanted out. I wanted out. I wanted out. Um, and that's just something I really do want to talk about because that that whole moment a few years ago now, you know, I'm, I'm well into my 30s and this is happening. So it's like a realisation I've carried all these problems from even before I was born. And then it was like, bang, you know, you have no choice. You face this or you die. And, you know, thank God. Thank God. If I, I say thank God. I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I believe in something. Um, mm. I felt some things at times as well. So I, and I've seen childbirth. And if that's not a miracle, then I don't know. I don't know what is, because that is definitely a miracle. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's my take on religion. <laughs> Quickly moving on, um, but yeah, you know, I just, I, I just, can't, you know, there's so many things that I, I have to be faithful. I have to be, I have to be grateful for. Really, um, sorry, I've lost my my train of thought. So yeah. You were talking about. Um, it was interesting. You sort you've listening to everything you've said. It seems like that all of those early life life experiences. You know, the the contact with your mum in and out of hospital, you know, in and out of, then into a sequence of foster placements, then an adopt, you know, into an adoptive home. That sounds like it's got its whole story in there as well. It seems like adoption or, you know, care and adoption and being separated has just cast such a shadow across every aspect of your life. Were you when you were going through, you know, the stuff as a young adult and as an adult getting a bit older, did you see it in those terms? Did you sort of join the dots and say, how I am now is is like the result of all of that? Or, I mean, that's me putting words in your mouth. Or, or was it just sort of totally out of the blue? You talked about sort of having to deal with it. Did you know there wasn't it? No, not to that level. So you're part right. It is, and it is a case of, all right. I love my daughter, and I love my daughters. I was thinking when I had my first child, but just as an overall concept, I know, or I felt because of what I've been through, means that I do generally care for them, and um, and and I have got that empathy. I'm not cut off from it, you know. Mm. Even though inside I'm like, you might have already been like that anyway. I feel it's been hype, hype. I did think at the time, yes, it things like that have a result of it's that nurture versus nature argument, 
you know, am I really like that? Or is that just because I've been in treated, you know, differently as a child? So therefore it's made me want to be the opposite with my children. Yeah. So that's some of those things are definitely irrelevant. I knew at the time, like certain things about me or my morals, so we say, were from my time being in, in care and being adopted. But the it was the deep-rooted issue because up until I had got my medical records, which, you know, um, I think my, my little one was young or just born, I didn't know that had happened to my mother. Right. So I carried a lot of guilt about being just alive always felt I was a problem because of what happened. Yeah. Because it never worked out for me. Yeah. And I never could understand why. Um, and then when I found out that, I kind of like put the dots together and thought, oh, sugar, I'm not supposed to be here. That's why. Like, I shouldn't be here. I should... You know, or the loads of things like the bad blood running from my veins, the fact that I look like, clearly look like that person. Maven, again, the nature, nurture, nature argument. You know, am I like that person just because I have their DNA? You know, I'm just feeling horrible about that. You know, the fact that I can even say this now without completely... <laughs> It does show I've come a long way, man. I mean, you saying it is, it's heart-wrenching to hear you say those words. I think it's a blessing now, though, because <clears throat> cause now I do understand what it's like not to love yourself and the dangerous impact it has on your whole life. The fact that I've never been able to be in a settled relationship, that before this I'd never stayed in one place longer than five minutes because in my relationship that I had with, with my little one, we kept splitting up and I kept going here, there and everywhere. And, you know, so it was like I realised that because I never had any self-worth, I was always trying to prove myself. I never really being happy with my life because I always felt like you know I had a lot of the stereotypical stuff which you do here you know from people like myself where you just never thought you'd get to that age mm. so when you hear it like middle age you're like with grown kids you just you know the, the, the microscopes on you like on you in it bigger than ever and it's like that's why I see it as a bit of a blessing that I can't even say it because otherwise, I don't know. I just, I was, it was only going to be one, it was going to be one or the other way. I was going to over, overcome it or was going to let it take me like it has done hundreds and thousands of others across the world like me. And that's the upsetting thing. And that's why I'm here.
because I needed individuals to help me who never knew F all about me. I had people at work. I had a senior manager tell me what was wrong with me after 30 odd years and I never knew. She just sat there and just said, you're not well in the head. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. And I thanked that woman even the other day, I thanked her. Because that triggered to realise it was up here and not in here in my heart, where the pain was, where the huge hole lit, you know, and I'm and I'm hoping others, you know, when I when I hear this from others, I I I, I because it's so something hard to explain, but it's like had a, a, a hole in my chest that I was the way I kind of I tried to explain it was like I was putting a plaster over it. And then one, I just kept putting pastas on them. And then one day someone just went, and it was just there. And then mm. if, every time, even to this day, it's like the, 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 what I went through managed to seal, seal the hole. So there's like permanent fixing going on. And that's the best way I can explain it because that's how I feel now. And there may be a little hole there, but it's manageable. Mm. It's manageable enough for me to get through with my mental health condition because that's what I have and that's what I always have. Mm. So did you um, get, you, you, you mentioned individuals helped you, did you get professional help? Yeah, yeah, that was it, you see, because that same manager, her partner works in mental health. So she, I could, I went to work some very, um, I tried, you know, I had, yeah. I had took time and I just tried to go back to work and I ended up having an episode at work and that's when I couldn't hide it anymore. Um, and then that's when they put me in touch with the people at work, the support network at work. And then from there, I got into my doctor, which was really hard. Tell your doctor you're not feeling well in your head. Really, really difficult, but I'd managed to do that and got referred to local support. A few, few phone calls, um, some antidepressants, about three months. Good meditation. Real basic stuff like just hugging myself with the same love that I give my children. But to me, you know, doing stuff that I never even thought about but it does work. <laughs> it does work because when I don't have someone to, you know, so I'm quite a sensitive person anyway. I think well, this is the thing. Am I a sensitive person or is it just because of what I've been through that makes me a sensitive person? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that one out. I hope that it is that I am more of a sensitive person anyway because I love animals and I, I generally actually love people as well. <laughs> I generally love people, you know, and I generally have hope and I, and. You know, I I feel like I'm very in tune with people and 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 feelings and you know I, I feel like I am. I mean, I'm probably not, but I, that's you know, and I, I like that trait about me. I feel like it it gives me strength where others see weakness now, where I see strength in it now, yeah. and and I do because I feel like for me to do this and to bear all, it takes a lot of 
balls. Yeah, totally. Because I know that you, it's sort of, it's a story that's been inside you for a long time. And now you're, you know, this is the first time you've shared it, which is quite a place to share it. So the right place is the right place. Well, (laughs) I'm sure other opinions are available, but yeah. Yeah. I've Googled, I've seen you, I Googled you. I Googled and I saw you guys straight there at the top of the podcast for adoption and fostering. And I think that's all because of the hard work and honesty and integrity that you're putting into it. And also I've had experience with other people that aren't so um, eager or mm, it's not been as easy. um, So we say to kind of, for them to see who I was about, you called me straight away and you really wanted to know about my story and it's been nothing but a pleasure already. And and, and and this is what I really thought I was hoping would happen. I just never thought it would happen so soon. <laughs> right. I mean, and what do you, why are you telling your story now? Because I'm sure you've told just you, people around you who know your story, there's people who are help, supporting you uh, know your story. So why, you know, you've set up Orphan. Um, what's your hope and dream and plan? I think because like you say, I, I don't, I don't, if I'm being brutally honest, the support's not there for me. Mm. That's where it came from. Orphan is, came, the concept of it is, came from me as a user of, I I was a potential user of of, of somewhere online that I can connect with that understands me understands what I'm going through and understands what I might need support with throughout all my life because that's what I've realized you just there is none there isn't that constant support so the concept of orphan is an online community hub that is an, an understood brand by eventually the general public like it came from concept of Oxfam we all know as soon as I say that word you know what that as a general public you know what that's to do with charity work across the world simple I want that for all fan as in hey that's a place that hey I'm a foster care leaver or I'm a foster parent let me go to Orphan and they'll get me in touch wherever I am with the right people or I can listen to a podcast from Al or I can get involved with, with, with an online blog with, you know, some, some people that have managed to great connections with in parliament and people that can make a difference. I can hear and hear their voices and not for it to be as the concept is a family for all. It's a very simple concept because that's what I want. I want to be able to type in all family and I'm not feeling too good and have someone there, not necessarily just, a specific counsellor, it might be quite informal because I'm feeling a bit lonely or I've been triggered and it's to do with my past specifically. So I want to be able to kind of go, okay, you can come here and I'm going to understand or at least try to understand or have the connection for somebody who will specifically understand those needs. And I've been inspired by so many movements that have happened recently, the LGBTQ movement, 
as especially the way they've been able to come together worldwide. And there is plenty out there for them in terms of hubs and online, you know, um, forums, and they've got people in parliament wearing badges, you know, and I feel people in care or care leavers, and this goes for the people that are foster carers and adoptees too. You're a vulnerable group that is considered, in my opinion, less important than others. And that is where I have to say, no, why can't we have something like this? And why can't it be a community that we all come together with peace, love, and, and, and in a safe environment? You know, and that's why I cannot, I've only been only like a week and a half ago and the connections have been nothing but truly amazing, Al. Yeah. This is the tip of the iceberg for me at the moment, for sure. But the amount of interactions and messages and emails and I just, it, it's, it's a blessing. It's, it's more of a motivator than I ever needed in such a small time scale. So the dream is for Orphan in five to 10 years time that we could be even international. I've got a connection in Ghana who has an orphanage. She is really massive into trying to help her community in Ghana with their children, with the same issues that our children have. With less resource, with less awareness, with more stigma, with harsher conditions. And I couldn't believe it. That's I, we just online is the power of it, which I know because I work in it. So it might be industry that I work in. It's just relating it to this specific um, target audience and nothing but love and support. And I know eventually, who knows, I'll be going there as part of Orphan's um, charity efforts to help over there, bring awareness that, hey, there are other kids that feel the same and look the same as you even and they, they look, live miles away but the bottom line is they they just want a family and that's all we want we just want family i want a family even this day i'm a co-parent i don't have a partner i have a cat <laughs> she's lovely <laughs> she's absolutely lo love her to death uh, my children but i don't you know i don't have a family as it were you know, um, yeah. I will. Some good news is after falling out with uh, my adoptive parents, so I won't get into the reasons why, but it was a good 14 years since I had any communication with them. This year, there has been. I had a phone call from my adoptive mother, and we've been back and forth on WhatsApp every day since. That was about two months ago. Mm -hmm. It feels like in, in a lot of ways you're at the start of the story. You're at the end of one story and the start of another, aren't you? Yeah, because I'm going to find out the truth in terms of... You can't put context to black and white, can you? You can't, can't, you can't, you can't put context to what someone might have been quoted as been saying, you know? Apparently I came from a racist family. You didn't want me. The family didn't want me either. Because I was this, but you can imagine if that was the reason why, then even the fury and even more racism and hatred would be there. And, and, and it's so funny because just as a side story, 
I remember this. I remember this clearly. I remember being taken by my birth mother to her parents' house. And they had a little house. I remember it was like a little low ceiling cottagey type house. And they had loads of those little trinkets, those little porcelain trinkets everywhere. Because I, I remember going in looking at them. I was very um, aware child. I was very in my surroundings and, and inquisitive even, even then. And I remember just staring at them and looking at them. What the hell is this? <laughs> Why have they got all these little things in their house? But they, they look kind of cool. And I remember the parents having an argument with my mother saying, we don't want this and, and child here. I remember it. And I remember us walking home. You know, like I remember that. And then I read it in my medical records that that's what happened. It's just been so many other little memories mm. that I have, you know, that actually were real. And I was like, so I need to, the communication with my adoptive mother is about a new relationship between us. The byproducts will be, eventually, we'll be able to talk openly about what has happened and what happened before. So I can put a little bit of context before I continue my journey to find my birth mother which I've been putting off for years and years. And I'm glad I did because I was never ready for, for that. And I'm still not really ready for it now. But yeah, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do one thing at a time. Um, and, and so, yeah, which is why I think Orphanny has become a blessing for me because it's a way that I can share my experience of exactly what I'm going to go through, mm. through, my online um my, my, my online medium so uh, media so then others are definitely going to be able to understand and relate to it because i'm going to show it yeah. i'm actually going to show what i'm going to go through and it's going to be tough but i think people need to see and i feel like this is my calling now i feel like i, I genuinely genuinely believe this is my calling once my children are big and they're grown and it's just me and i'm you know do that I don't want to work in online marketing forever in what I'm doing forever. I want this to be my calling and I, and I don't do it for money. I'm doing it to make a difference and I'm mm. using it to be a part of this community and I can see it's building. So I feel like I'm coming in at the right time. Salt, you've been so honest and it feels tangibly like so still very present. So much of this stuff. I really, really appreciate your honesty and, you know, we just really wish you well. Where can people kind of hook into your social medias and the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, because I've only just set it up. If you type in Orphan, O-R-F-A-N, at the moment it won't come up. So the best thing to do is to try it on Instagram. Yeah. And try it on Facebook. Definitely Twitter. Yeah. at orphan underscore uk because that's where the community feels like it's really you know the everything's going on yeah. there on the twitter in a positive way which is so great to see um and then from there just reach out to me it's just me it's it's um i haven't set up a i've got to do all, all of that kind of stuff and setting it up as a non-profit organization and this that and the other i've got to do all that i didn't you know, I just building an online network now. So if you, if it is yeah. something that, you, you know, it's a connection for you guys, then please just reach out for, for any of those, those means. All right. 
Saul, I have a feeling that we're going to talk again. Um, and I feel, you know, it's been a real, genuinely say it's been a real privilege to talk to you as you've shared your story and, and parts of your story. Um, and just, you know, I'm sure as people are listening to this, just wishing you well, really, in the future. And just we just look forward to, you know, walking and watching your journey with you. Thank you so much, Al. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>